So the text is from Ruth 1, verses 6 through 22, which we just read together. And then after the sermon, let's sing together from Psalm 72, stanza 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. The story about Ruth the Moabitess is one of the most beautiful stories you will find in the Bible. Although it has great literary value, its beauty is to be attributed, to be attributed especially to the way it unveils for us the marvelous ways of the Lord in his covenant dealings with his people. From this precious book of the Bible, the Lord our God reveals himself as the God of salvation, the God of redemption. He shows us the way to the child born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. He has done that ever since the fall into sin throughout the history of redemption. The closer history moves to the birth of that Redeemer, the more details emerge and the clearer and the more urgent the choice becomes to serve him and to believe in him. He does that today as well. Ultimately, the question always is, do you want to serve me or do you want to serve Satan? There's no middle way. Do you choose to be thankful for your salvation also in the midst of difficult circumstances? Or do you choose to be bitter about the things that life has brought you? Do you see God's hands in all things, at all times? Do you choose the flesh or the way of the Spirit? These are the choices three women on their way to Bethlehem were confronted with as well. They could either choose to go to Bethlehem to be with God's people and to trust that God would take care of their physical and spiritual well-being, or they could choose the way of the world and remain in Moab. Oprah chose the way of the world, Orpah. The pull of her heathen family and friends was too great to resist. Naomi chooses Bethlehem. But she does so with great bitterness. Ruth, however, chooses to go to Bethlehem full of hope and trust. She trusted that salvation and redemption is with the God of Israel. And she became the great-grandmother of King David, out of whose seed the Christ would be born. The Lord blesses her choices. And he will bless our choices as well if we trust in him and make the right choices. That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows. The Lord puts Naomi and her daughters-in-law before an important choice. And then we will see three things. We will first see the clarification of the choices. In the second place, the making of the choices. And then in the third place, the blessing on the right choices. So first of all, the clarification of the choices. How the Lord puts things to them so they can make a choice. The Lord greatly afflicted Naomi in the country of Moab. She lost her husband. She lost both of her sons during the ten years 
that she lived in that country. She lost her companion of her life. That in itself is much cause for sorrow. For the main reason why the Lord instituted marriage was that a man or a woman would not be alone. And that together they would reflect the covenant relationship that God has made with man. To reflect his faithfulness. To satisfy the need to belong and to share. A marriage partner is someone whom you can feel close to. Now, Naomi lost her husband. There's a great emptiness in her life. He had been her companion for a long time. He had taken her all the way to Moab, and she didn't mind. Naomi, it appears, would be happy anywhere as long as she had her husband and her children around her. As is clear from the things that she does and says, Naomi loved her family. She was a very warm and loving person. Relationships were very important to her. And that is why her daughters in law were also so fond of her. They could not bear to part from her. And these young women had been accepted into her family with open arms. And Naomi taught them how to make a happy home for their husbands. She showed them how to love and how to be loved. Naomi put all her efforts into her family. But, and that was exactly the problem with Naomi, she was too much dependent on her husband and her children for her happiness. Naomi did not have her priorities right. She put her husband and her children before the Lord. And that is why she did not protest when her husband, Elimelech, wanted to leave his own inheritance among God's people and seek his fortunes in another country. Of course, she and her husband did not entirely forget about the Lord. For even though Naomi and her husband went to the land of Moab, that did not mean that they gave up their religion. And don't forget, for them to leave their own country means to leave God's covenant people where God is served in Jerusalem. And so, but she did not give up on her religion. That's clear from the whole account. Even though they were disobedient by going to Moab, they hung on to their faith. Naomi will have told Orpah and Ruth all about the God of Israel. Her faith remained important to her. And she took the instruction of her daughters-in-law seriously. But her family still came before the Lord. That's clear from the advice that she gives to her daughters-in-law. For what happens... Well, Naomi hears that the famine is over. There's again bread in the house of bread, which is what Bethlehem means. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And there's very little which now ties her to her adopted country, Moab. There's food again back home. And so she packs her bag and goes back to her own country, to her own village, and to the people she left 10 years before. And then what does she do? Naomi strongly urges Opa and Ruth not to come with her. She says, go back, each of you to your mother's home. Why did she say that? Well, Naomi can't imagine that her daughters-in-law would be happy without a husband. Naomi herself is a bitter woman. 
She lost her husband. She lost her children. As far as she's concerned, life is over. She does not want the same thing for her daughters-in-law. They're still too young. She loves them too much. There's still hope for them. For her, it's too late, so she thinks. So she tells them to go back to their own country, to Moab. For that is where, being Moabitesses themselves, they are much more likely to find a husband. Naomi saw no future for them in Israel. She was a poor woman. All she could look forward to was to live from the handouts from her former friends and relatives. She did not want such a bleak bleak future for Orpah and Ruth. Of course, she didn't forget the Lord in all this. For she did express the wish, may the Lord deal kindly with you. She uses the name Yahweh, the name of the God of Israel. You might have expected that she would have used the general name for God. For the name God, Elohim, can be used for all the so-called deities of the world and thereby include the gods of Moab, and especially the god Chemosh. But she doesn't do that. She uses the name Yahweh. May Yahweh deal kindly with you. And that's why the word is capitalized in our Bibles as well. It's always when Yahweh is used. So it's clear that she does not want to worship any other god. A Moabite would not have such a difficulty. For the heathens are polytheists. That is to say, they worship many gods. The more the better. And they would have no problem including Yahweh among their own gods. But Noah or Naomi is not like that. The Hebrew expression translated as dealing kindly is hard to render in good understandable English. What she really is saying is that the Lord remained faithful to them in his covenant love. The word kindness refers to Yahweh's covenant faithfulness. In expressing that wish, Naomi acknowledges the faithfulness of the Lord God. Only his blessing will do them any good. And yet, she sends them back to their own country. And she does that in the hope that they can have the best of both worlds. Naomi knows her doctrine. She knows her scriptures. The problem is that she has a hard time putting it into practice. And so, in reality, she puts God in the second place. Isn't that often the way it is with us as well? We're all proud of our doctrine. We're a Reformed church. We know that we belong to the true church. But when it comes to putting it all into practice, we leave a lot to be desired. Naomi knows what ought to be done, and she knows that her daughters-in-law can only find salvation through Yahweh, She knows also that it is very hard to practice your faith in the land of Moab. There these women are surrounded by their heathen countrymen. And the temptation of that world will be very hard to resist. But Naomi minimizes the dangers in her own mind. And nevertheless sends them back to Moab. She thinks first about their current marital status. And about their material well-being. She puts their physical well-being above their spiritual well-being. We often 
do that as well, don't we? I know that's the case for me. How often do you and I not have our priorities wrong? How often do we not put our own selfish interests before the Lord's? For example, to what extent do our family relations determine our religion and our obedience? Now, please don't think about how this applies to others. No, how this applies to me and to every single one of you. The question is very personal. It's true, of course, that for the vast majority of us, we are sitting here in these pews because of our parents and our other relatives. As we also heard this morning with the recitation of the second commandment, the Lord blesses in the generations. He shows us the way of obedience through our parents. And it is wonderful that our parents made the right choice to belong to that faithful church. But if you belong to this church only because of your father and mother, well, then you're here for the wrong reasons. If you are here only because your family and because your parents and your grandparents and siblings are members of this church, then you better examine yourself. For you see, we are never followers of men, but followers of God in the final analysis. Each generation is put before a choice. Also, you young people. For you can never have it both ways. You can never put your family and God on the same level. God wants you to choose. What will it be? Whom will I serve? Will it be the Lord my God? Or will it be the flesh, my own desires? You know what Christ once said? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, sure, that's in the New Testament. But it also counts in the Old Testament. We cannot love this life on earth more than our eternal life through God our Savior. And that should be as clear to the New Testament believer as to the Old Testament believer. Naomi made a wrong choice in her life once. She went along with her husband and her two sons to Moab. She tried to make a compromise. She wanted to serve both her family and her God, but it didn't work. It never worked. She endangered her own salvation and that of her family. She was on the wrong path. But now look at how God works in her life and how he guides her way to the how he guides her back to the way of obedience. In spite of her disobedience and bitterness, she is now back on the way to Israel, to God's people, to his temple, to his service, to Bethlehem. The Lord does not want her to remain in Moab. He makes it so that once again there's bread in Bethlehem. He gives her good reason to return to God's people, to the church. He does not let her become part of the heathen nation of Moab. That's how God also works in our lives. When we go the wrong path, there are always ways that God brings us back, as he does here with Ruth or with Naomi. But it takes a while for Naomi to realize God's hand in all this. For look at the reason that she goes back. 
From verse 6, it is clear that her main reason for going back is because of the food that is once again available in Bethlehem. Nowhere are we told that she wants to go back because she wants to be near the temple and to be among God's people. No, she goes back because there's no longer any famine in the land and her daughters-in-law go with her. Now, it is not clear from the text whether right from the start both daughters-in-law went along merely to accompany her till she had reached her destination and then to return again to her own country or whether they initially intended both to remain with her permanently. The text, I think, favors the latter. Orpah and Ruth intended to stay permanently with their mother-in-law. A change in plan comes only after Naomi continues to insist that they both return to their own country. And in this way, they are put before a choice. What's it going to be? Moab or Israel? Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, or Yahweh, the god of Israel? The world or the church? The choice is made clear, and the decision has to be made. We come to the second point. Naomi strongly prevails upon Orpah and Ruth to return to the land of Moab. Naomi honestly believes that they would be better off in Moab. She makes a strong case for them both returning to their own families. Only Orpah takes her advice. She chooses to go back to her own country. But that was a painful decision for her to make. That is clear from the tears that she shed as she prepared to go back. But Orpah made the wrong decision. She chose her family rather than the Lord. She chose the way of the flesh rather than the way of the spirit. She chose family over God. Family bonds are very strong. And so it is very understandable that she did what she did. It's not easy to leave your family behind. It's not easy to turn your back on them. Orpah could not resist the temptation. It was much easier to go back to her own people, to go to a foreign country with people you do not know is a hard thing to do. She took the way of least resistance. She went back to Moab and to the gods of Moab, to the god Chemosh. And Naomi also understood that that is exactly what she was doing. When Naomi says to Ruth in verse 15, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. In the final analysis, Naomi was fully aware of what was at stake. She knew Orpah's choice meant a choice for her own gods, the gods of the imagination of men. She chose for Chemosh, that same god that child sacrifices were made to, and the belief that that would stay its anger. It is the god of heathendom. She chose death rather than life. Ruth does not make the same mistake. She chose for her Lord and Savior. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth saw that ultimately her family was not her own brothers and sisters in the flesh, back in the land of Moab, No, her brothers and sisters are those who worship the only true God, the God of Israel. 
For note well, brothers and sisters, that she does not divorce the people from their God. She mentions them in one breath. Your God, my God. Your people, my people. You can never separate the people from God. Some people like to do that. They will tell you that they believe in God and that they love him, but they do not think it's necessary to belong to a church or to go to church regularly. For that is where, according to them, you find all the hypocrites. They say, those people that go to church, well, they're not any better than I. Actually, from the things that I've seen, they're worse. And you want me to go to a church with people like that? And have them even stick their noses into my business? No thanks, I don't need that kind of hassle. My religion is something between God and me. In this way, you make worship of God an individual matter. And something that you determine for yourself. As if you are in the center and you don't need anybody else. As if you're better than others. Throughout scripture, it is clear that God makes his covenant not with individuals in the first place, but with his nation, with his people. For we need each other to encourage one another and to keep one another on the right path. God shows his mercy and kindness through his people. Your God, my God, your people, my people. Ruth saw it correctly. Oh, oh sure, she will come across much that was wrong in Bethlehem and the rest of Israel. God's people are a sinful people. And that shows in so many ways. But, as you will see from the rest of the book, that did not deter her. All she wanted was to be obedient and to receive the Lord's blessings. And as the great-grandmother of David, out of whom the Christ would be born, she made the right decision in spite of the bitterness of her mother-in-law. For make no mistake about it, Naomi will have spoken very bitterly of the things which happened to her. That's clear from the words that she spoke as she entered the village. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In that respect, Naomi was not a good ambassador of the Lord her God. You cannot be when you're full of bitterness and anger. Naomi's bitterness shows that she was angry with the Lord. But she did not see her own sinfulness. She was not angry with herself for putting her own family and her own welfare before the Lord. Naomi was too concerned about her own welfare. She was not concerned enough about the kingdom of God. She no longer saw God's faithfulness and goodness. I know that changes later on in the book of Ruth, but this is the mindset that she had as she came back to Israel. She could only think about the evil that happened to her. Because of her wrong perspective, it was no wonder that she became bitter. But Ruth saw through the tears and the bitter remarks of her mother-in-law Although Ruth had learned a lot from Naomi about Yahweh, she also will have had other sources. She lived during the time of the judges. And at that time, the Lord over and over again rescued his people Israel. And he did that in a miraculous way. And she had been told about these things by others, including her husband and her father-in-law when they were still alive. 
Ruth was no stranger to Yahweh, to the Lord. She saw that he was faithful to his covenant people as long as they trusted in him. And so Ruth chooses for God, the almighty God. She chooses for life. And that's a time that you and I have to make time and again as well. So let me ask you, why are you here this morning? Because you want to? Or because you think you have to? Are you here out of tradition or because you have given your heart to the Lord? What is your choice? Where is the road leading that you are choosing today? Is it the road to God and eternal life for you and your offspring? Or is it the road away from God which can lead to destruction? I hope none of you are on the wrong road. For it's hard to turn back once you're on the wrong path. Orpah, it appears, never came back. God also put his people Israel time and again for the choice. For example, he did so through Joshua when he made his final address to them. He said, as it says in Joshua 24, verse 15, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He put them before a choice. Either the world with its false securities, or the true security and welfare in the Lord. Joshua himself had already given the answer. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many people have that verse framed and hung in their living rooms or in their hallways. It's a good thing to be reminded of that. As for me and my house, We will choose the Lord. And God also puts you to the choice in many small things. He does that every day. He gives, for example, the choice to be bitter or not to be bitter. What shall it be? Or he gives you the choice to be an angry person or a kind one. What shall it be? He gives you the choice to be honest Or not to be honest. He gives you the choice to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Or to have all kinds of grudges against them. And so brothers and sisters what choices are you making? Are you choosing a Christian lifestyle? Or a worldly one? Are you full of love? Or are you full of bitterness? And disappointment? At this point, you may wonder whether this way of speaking may not be somewhat Arminian. Is it really true that we have to choose? Isn't it God's work? You're absolutely right. It is God's work. But then also remember something else. God has already chosen. He has chosen you. He has chosen you to be one of his children. That's why you have his covenant promises given to you at the time of your baptism. And he has chosen you also to be under the preaching again this morning. To hear his words of instruction. Of admonishment and of comfort. He has already made a choice. Only and only now does he leave it up to you to accept that choice of his or to reject it. And once you do choose for the Lord. Then the glory and honor is to him alone. 
For once you have made the choice to serve him, then you do not give the honor and glory to yourself, but to God. For God is at work at you. He gives you the ability through his Holy Spirit to make the right choices. Time and again, he prepares your heart. He's working in your heart right now to soften it, to make it pliable, open your hearts to his spirit. Ruth and Naomi both made their choice. They take the final path to Bethlehem. Orpah turns back, they go on. What a blessing they receive for making the right choice. Third point. We read that the men are in the field. They are harvesting the barley. God has visited the people. He again shows his favor because they listen to his voice. There's again bread in the village of bread. As Naomi and Ruth enter Bethlehem, only the women are about. The men are in the fields. And I'm sure it's not easy for Naomi to do what she did. Just imagine in a way, she would have dreaded to come home. For she knows how cruel people can be. She knows how the tongues can wag. As James says, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. She knows how judgmental people can be, and that is why she does not try to hide anything. She tells them to call her Mera, bitter. For God, she says, has dealt bitterly with her. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But is it true that the Lord has brought calamity upon her? That he has brought misfortune on her? Oh, sure, it is true that he will allow that to happen. And he will do that also in your life and in my life. Disaster can strike in our own lives. It can strike at any time. At any time, the Lord can take one of your children away, or your husband, or your wife. But why does he do that? He does that so that time and again you turn to him. The death of her children in Moab brought Naomi back. It brought her back to God and his church. She needed them. She does not yet see at that moment what a great blessing that is. Later on she will, for she is going to be a grandmother through Ruth. Her return to Bethlehem sets the scene for a birth in that very village, the birth of Christ. Her return meant a return to our Lord and Savior. And she made her decision. As she made her decision, her vision was only limited, as is ours. We can't see into the future, can we? We do not know what life will hold for us. But if we know this one thing with a certainty, the Lord will turn whatever adversity comes our way to our good. And then our paths will continue to turn back to Bethlehem, to that child in the manger, our Lord and Savior, who is now seated at the right hand of God. He is there as our mediator and defender. He has prepared a place for us. For he continued to choose for his heavenly father and for us. He made his choice to serve both his father and us. And now he also puts us before a choice time and again. He wants us to choose for him. For salvation is through him alone and through no other. What is your choice, brother, 
sister, whom will you serve? What path are you going to take? Amen.